Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Uh, we are, as Ernie said, continuing our series in Gospel Human Flourishing. And we're going to zero in specifically on the topics of generosity and hospitality. So just a roadmap for today. We're going to be jumping around a bit in the scriptures. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians, and then we're going to be in Romans. And then we're going to dip into the book of Leviticus to see some practical ways that we might be able to be hospitable. So uh, before we go, before we begin, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for bringing us together. When you ask, we ask that you would open the scriptures to us. May your spirit be with us. Give us hearts that are open and ready to receive your word. And let that word dwell in us, Lord, that it may transform our lives, that we may be the people that you have created us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to be reading from verses 1 to 7. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. He writes, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Amen. So Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, and as he, this is one of the churches that he helped to plant, and as Paul's going on his missionary journeys, he's visiting different churches, and he's doing a specific ministry. He's going to churches and collecting funds to send back to the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem had been experiencing persecution, and they were impoverished. This is religious persecution. And so Paul's visiting different churches. He writes to the church in Rome. He writes to the church in Corinth. And he asks them to contribute something to help relieve the burden of the, churches, the church in Jerusalem. And so he's reminding them that they had already started to do this. And now he's asking them to finish what they started. And in order to remind them, he encourages, he encourages them with the example of the Macedonian churches. So those are the churches in Philippi, the church in Berea, the church in Thessalonica. Those are places that are in northern Greece today. Now these churches, uh, these cities were not poor cities. But the churches, like the church in Jerusalem, were experiencing religious persecution from other Jews who did not like the idea of Jews becoming Christians. And so they were feeling a bit of a financial and economic squeeze. And yet, we find with the Macedonians that they still desire to be generous. They were in a severe test of affliction, Paul says. They were in uh, an extreme poverty. And yet, they had an abundance of joy 
that caused them to reach out, to take some of what they have, to sacrifice, and send it with Paul to the Jerusalem church. This is a very strange thing, because in the ancient world, people did not think about the poor taking what they had and giving to somebody else. In the ancient world, the idea of generosity, that was the responsibility of the rich people. The people who had the money, those are the people who would give money away. And they thought about it in terms of patronage. Um, Patronage is where wealthy people fund different projects. So um, this is The Roman world ran on patronage. The Romans would go around to different cities, and they would connect with the elites there, and they would encourage the elites to donate money to build the theater or the marketplace or the public bath. And what they would get in return is honor and respect, and they'd get a plaque and these things um, singing their praises on the wall. And people would owe them that honor and respect. And people who were patrons would have uh, networks of people who would uh, gather around them and depend on them and ask them for favors. There was a ritual almost every morning. People would come and greet and show their respect to their patron. And the patron would then have those people in his debt. They would have to owe him some sort of political support, or maybe he could ask for a favor from them later down the line. So in essence, a patron, a wealthy person, would use his wealth to create relationships of obligation between people. So he could then leverage that obligation to increase his power and increase his status. Um, He would take care of needy people. He would do that, but then those people would owe him and be in his debt. And we might see generosity being used that way in our day, our time, our culture as well. Um, to take a, a silly example, um, perhaps you've seen the, the episode of The Office where uh, Dwight comes in, he's got a box of bagels from New York City, and he's handing them out to his coworkers, and he's smiling, saying, enjoy it, enjoy it. And then he looks mischievously at the camera and says, you owe me, you owe me. He's trying to get everybody in his debt so that he can then leverage that relationship to get his coworker fired. Um, it doesn't work out for him. But uh, joking aside, we, we probably wouldn't do something that obvious, that blatant. But we might be frustrated when somebody doesn't reciprocate our acts of generosity. Or maybe we think that somebody's not sufficiently grateful when we've served them or helped them in some way. So that we're, not, we're not exempt from thinking of uh, generosity as something that you create a, a relationship of obligation where you ought to be repaid for what you've done. But this is not what generosity is supposed to look like. The word generosity in the New Testament, at its most basic meaning, means simplicity. And you're thinking, why in the world is it simplicity? Well, um, this idea of simplicity, it means a single-mindedness. A single-mindedness of purpose, of motive, and of heart. And the opposite word would be double-minded or duplicitous. The idea is that there is no ulterior motive behind your giving in order to secure uh, advantage for yourself. So one commentator says, Simplicity is thus the total involvement of and unreserved giving of yourself the unreserved total involvement in giving of yourself. So the, the key idea is that generosity isn't just 
giving something away. It is, the, it is a simple, no-strings-attached giving of yourself. And if you're giving yourself, that would also imply your, your time, your resources, and your energy. And this is what the Macedonian churches did. It says in the, in the reading that we just read uh, that they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then they gave themselves to Paul and his uh, co-workers. And then by implication, in the giving of the gift, they gave themselves to the church in Jerusalem. The Macedonians knew what hardship looked like. Maybe they, because of their own persecution, their own suffering, they truly understood and empathized with what was happening in Jerusalem. And they wanted to share some of that burden, take off some of that, uh, that stress from that church so that they would be relieved. And this, this raises an important question of how we, can, how we can love people and serve people from a distance. When we love someone and they're hurting, we want to be with them. We want to come alongside them. We want to support them. But what do you do if they're far away? What if there's a disaster and you can't be there? You can't uh, experience the pain with them, uh, take some of their burden off of them. Well, I think the Macedonians give us a good example of what it looks like. They take some of the financial cost that the, the Jerusalem church is feeling. They sacrifice of themselves so that the church in Jerusalem can be a little bit relieved. We might be thinking, wow, that sounds like, if we do that enough times, that sounds like a, an excellent strategy to become used up and exhausted. And if we were thinking in terms of the patronage system, we would be correct. Um, the point of patronage, the point of that kind of generosity, is to get, get a return on your investment. But we don't exist. As the people of God, we don't exist in the patronage system. We exist in what can be called God's system of grace. In God's system of grace, uh, God supplies what we need so that we can supply other people. And other people are supplied so that when we are in need, we can be supplied. This is what he, uh, Paul writes in chapter 8, verse 12. He says, For if the readiness is there... It is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. And in chapter 9, he says, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So God supplies us so that we can supply others. Sometimes we're the ones in need, and God uses other people to supply us. Other times, someone else is in need, and we are able to supply them. But notice in this, in this scenario, who gets the credit? It's not the person who's supplying the need that gets the credit. It's God who gets the credit. So our service, our generosity to other people, doesn't, in the, like in the patronage system, rebound to us with praise and honor and glory for us, but it returns glory to God. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. He says, Let your light 
shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and give praise, not to you, but to your Father who is in heaven. But now let's look, let's look at a specific kind of generosity. Let's, let's think about the idea of hospitality. What is hospitality, and how does this fit in to the equation? Turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 13. This is what it says. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So we see a connection here between the two ideas. We've been talking about contributing to the saints. That's what Paul is referring to, the, the, the church in Jerusalem helping them. And then he follows that up right away with seek to show hospitality. It's not just show hospitality when you get a chance, not when it, when it happens, um, when you're in the right situation. No, he says seek to, to show hospitality. Pursue it and strive to do it. Hospitality isn't like, maybe you think hospitality and you're thinking, okay, have people over for dinner. And that is part of it, but it's a little bit more than just having you know, fancy dinner parties. Hospitality was an extremely important part of the ancient world. Um, it was intended to provide for the needs of strangers who were traveling. If you are traveling from one town, you're leaving your network, you're leaving your, your support system, your friends, your family, your sources of food, and you're going to somewhere else, and you are vulnerable. You are at their mercy. So people prized hospitality. It was, it was what made traveling possible. And so the person who showed hospitality was supposed to provide the basic needs of the person traveling. Food, lodging, water, whatever they would need, that person would supply it. But just like with the patronage system, uh, hospitality could be used in a purely selfish way. Um, social climbers would use hospitality to create new relationships that would advantage themselves. And we read about this in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus, in Luke chapter 14, he's, there's a, he's at a banquet with people sitting around a table, and he starts telling them about how they should have their banquets. And he says, don't just invite your friends. Don't just invite your, your relatives and your rich neighbors, because then they're just going to repay you. No, you should invite the people who are poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the people who cannot repay you. And then God will repay you at the resurrection. If we're thinking in terms of just inviting friends and, and family and people who can repay us, then we're not really thinking in terms of generosity or in terms of hospitality. The true meaning of hospitality is, uh, it comes from a Greek word, it is philoxenia. Um, it combines the word for love and friendship and stranger. So there's one word that can mean love or friendship, friendship love, and another word that means stranger. Um, you, you can hear the same words in like philanthropy or in xenophobia. But philoxenia is the love of strangers. It is the practice of loving strangers as if they were friends. Not only that, but loving strangers so that they become friends. So if your friend, in, if your friend is in need, you're going to want to be there with them. You want to help them. If they need someone to talk to, you're going to call them up. You're going to spend time with them, talk with them. Um, if they need a place to stay, you're going to have the kids double up. You're going to get the couch ready, or you're going to roll out the air mattress. And you want to be there for them. 
And that's the way that we're called to love strangers, people that we don't know very well. And this sounds tiring. It can be tiring. It can be costly um, since you have to supply everything that that person needs, their food, their lodging. You've got to get a bed ready for them. That's hard. It takes work. It takes energy. And it's also risky. I mean, what happens if you, you start to help somebody who just starts to take advantage of you? Maybe a, a selfish person who, hey, this person's giving me free stuff. I'm just going to keep taking as much as I can get. What do you do in that situation? Well, I mean, every situation is different, and you need wisdom in all circumstances. But I think the rest of this passage helps us to understand how to love people that maybe aren't so lovable. It says, after... Um, Let's read from, again from verse 13. It says, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And then continuing in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. When you read this list of it's all these different exhortations and imperatives, commands, it is a list that seems ready-made to turn strangers, even enemies, into friends. When you think about somebody you don't know, you think about somebody that maybe you don't like, you do know them and you don't like them, how does that person ever change into a friend? How can a stranger ever become a friend unless somebody reaches out in friendship? How can an enemy become a friend unless one of you starts to stop repaying evil for evil and start doing good to the other person? It'll hurt at the beginning, but there's no other way around it. There's no way to turn a stranger into a friend until you start acting like they're a friend. There's no way to turn an enemy into a friend until you, start, until you start trying to reconcile with them and do good to them. You might feel at times like showing hospitality is a, a thankless activity. Uh, maybe it's a waste. It can make you vulnerable. It's dangerous. But over time, it's loving the stranger, loving those people who aren't lovely, or loving those who are difficult to love, that activity over time will turn people into friends. You think about Jesus. He would heal people that would never give him a moment's thought. He healed ten lepers. Only one of them came back to him afterwards. The rest of them just went on with their lives, didn't think about Jesus again. And then you have the, the Lord's Supper, when Jesus is there with his disciples, the night that he's going to be betrayed, he washes everybody's feet. They're all about to abandon him. And then he also washes Judas's feet, who is going to betray him and ultimately, um, ultimately be damned. He is somebody who will not be with the Lord. He's the son of perdition, Jesus says. And yet he washed his feet. Wow. Jesus loves even when he knows that the person he's loving, it's not ultimately going to lead to their salvation. And yet he did it anyway. Wow. But what does hospitality look like practically for us? And what are the things that keep us from being generous, keep us, keep us from being hospitable? 
You know, maybe you have experienced a, a generous uh, hospitality. Maybe you've uh, experienced an elaborate meal or an extravagant gift. And you think to yourself, wow, this was wonderful. And if this is what hospitality looks like, I don't have the time, I don't have the resources to do it right. But then you remember that Jesus said that even if somebody gives just a simple cup of cold water to one of his disciples, that person will not lose their reward. It can be small things, it can be big things. But I think an Old Testament example helps, uh, helps us when we're thinking about how to be uh, generous practically in our lives. Look at Leviticus chapter 19. We're going to go to chapter 19 and read from verses 9 and 10. This is the law of gleaning rights. It says in verse 9, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And, sh- and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So God's telling his people that when you have a field, when you have a vineyard, um, and you harvest, don't take everything. Leave, leave the edges. And when you drop something, let it stay there. That stuff that you leave is going to be for the poor and for the sojourner. And that's true whether you have a big field, big vineyard, or a small one. And now it's important to distinguish um, our situation from Israel's situation. Um, the law of gleaning rights, that was the legal right of the poor and the sojourner. They had a legal right to take from the edges of the field, the gleaning after the harvest. Um, it would be illegal to keep them from doing it. But we can... The, the idea is that the, the, the people of Israel were not supposed to squeeze every drop of productivity out of their field. Similarly, when we think about our own lives, this can teach us that we should build margin into our, into our lives. Um, so we are, we're not supposed to use up every ounce of our time for ourselves. We're not supposed to use up every little bit of money for ourselves. We're supposed to set aside some for the benefit and for the support of others. And this preparation, this uh, thinking ahead of time, puts us in a posture that allows us to be generous when the opportunity comes. St. Augustine puts it this way. He's talking about our responsibility to show love to people. He says, everyone is to be loved equally. But since you cannot do good to all, you are to pay special regard to those who, by the accidents of time or place or circumstance, are brought into closer connection with you. So you look around, the peop- look around and see who's near you, who is, I mean, obviously your family is the people that are closest in connection to you, but then you have your neighbors, you have your people at work, um, other people that you come across. You're not supposed to worry about everyone everywhere, but the people that God has put in your sphere of influence. What might this look like in practice? Um, I know a man here in Atlanta, he lives in a, his family lives in a, in a neighborhood where occasionally people come to his door knocking, asking for money. And they don't keep money at home anymore. They had some trouble before with, um, with theft. But they always have a, an abundant supply of food. And they have a porch. So they bring their food out, and they, they talk with these people every time they come. 
And they just hand it out. Here, take it. Here, take more when you go. And that's one of the ways they serve the people around them. And they, it's a simple bit of hospitality that shows the love of God. I knew another person in Korea. Um, he made a ministry with his tiny little boxcar. You know, it's just five, five people can fit in there uncomfortably. And he, wherever he was, when he was leaving, he, said, he would ask everybody who was with him, hey, do you need a ride? Do you need a ride? Do you need a ride? Um, a lot of people take taxis and buses or just walk there. And so it was a real ministry to pack people in and drive them home. And so he would do that. And on the way, he would get to talk to them and listen to them and hear about their lives, hear their story. It was a wonderful ministry, practically, to just bring them where they need to go. But also, spiritually, people felt heard. They, they were listened to. They were, were known. Um, perhaps you don't have time to go out and buy a cup of coffee and sit with people and talk over it. Maybe you have your kids that you need to go home to and take care of. But you are eating every day. You're making meals. You can invite people to be with you in that process. Some of my uh, best memories is having people over to our home and cooking dinner together or going to another person's home and cooking dinner together. And it's amazing how well you can come to know someone when you don't just eat together, but you, you, you hang out beforehand an hour or two, you're, you're making food, and then you eat together, and then you clean up together. That's just a wonderful experience, and you can really know people in that way. And outside of hospitality, it's really hard to make a stranger into a friend. It's really in the home in the, the privacy of our homes, where we can really have those meaningful conversations where people's hearts can open up and we can minister to them and love them. But maybe you're thinking, uh, my home, uh, I don't really want to show it to people. Um, but honestly, I think people are much more interested in you and in your friendship than toys on the floor or, or dishes in the sink. But maybe you're a student. Maybe you don't have a lot of money. You don't have a lot of resources that you can just give away. But you do have time. You can get to know somebody you don't know well, talk with them, and really listen. Or you're with a friend. You could do what the friend wants to do instead of insisting on your own way. That's a practical way to love and show hospitality. And then there are some people who they just don't want to receive anything from you. Maybe they think you're a Dwight, and you're trying to just put them in, <laughs> in your debt so that you can you know, manipulate them later on. And in that situation, um, and this is like a, a clever way to go work around it, instead of asking uh, to do them a favor, you can ask them for a favor. You can put yourself in the seemingly uh, the, the weak position, the vulnerable position, and then maybe later they'll be more willing to accept some act of generosity or love from you. And that means that we have to be willing not only to be generous, but also to receive generosity and hospitality from others. And all of this is meant to cultivate a lifestyle that is prepared to be generous, prepared to be hospitable when the, hosp when the opportunity comes. In other words, it's that generosity, that no strings attached, that simple giving of yourself. And at bottom, that's, a, that's simply love. And that's the love that God gives us, the love that makes strangers into friends. Think about why we would do this. What's the motivation? The motivation and the power for being generous and hospitable is God's own generosity, God's own hospitality towards us. In James uh, chapter 1, verse 5, it says that God gives generously to all without restriction. 
All that we have in life is a generous gift from God. He makes the sun to rise on the wicked and on the righteous. And he, makes, he sends his rain to the just and to the unjust. What do we have that we did not receive from God? And, and what have we earned that we did not earn with the hands and the ability that God gave us? Everything ultimately is supplied to us by God. But he gives more. He gives even more. He gives himself in the person of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And then, this is what Trevor read earlier this morning, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? When we were strangers, when we were wandering far from God, Jesus came to love us, and he gave himself even to the point of death so that we might not only become the friends of God, but become his very own children. Jesus took our hurt, he took our sin upon himself so that we could have his life and his joy, his abundance. In Jesus, the hospitality of God is that simple, no strings attached, um, giving of himself so that we can be invited and become part of God's family. In Christ, God graciously gives us all things. So as we have experienced the generosity of God, as we have experienced his hospitality, let us then show that same generosity and hospitality towards those in our lives. That those around us might not just see our good works and give us praise, but give praise to our God and Father in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your generous gift of all things. Lord, you have provided us with everything that we own. All that we have is a gift from you. And Lord, we especially thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Lord, when we, are, we, we were strangers, alienated from you, far from you, you came and loved us. When we did not love you, you loved us and made us your friends. You made us your sons and daughters. Lord, may you, by your spirit, put into us the same spirit of love and joy, generosity and hospitality, so that we can show the world who you are, how generous and hospitable a God you are. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.